0: Hi there, my name is Ushin Lunny and this is Audio Talks and welcome to a very special Happy Birthday JBL edition where we're going to celebrate 75 years full of legendary JBL memories as we look forward to make Music Day 2021. The story of JBL is in many ways the story of live music as we know it today. In fact, James B. Lansing's innovation in cinema sound led to a product arc that follows the history of every facet of modern audio technology. Studio monitors, theatres, music venues, people's homes, cars, computers, soundbars, speakers, headphones and of course, some of the most iconic music festivals of all time. And to celebrate JBL's 75th birthday, the good people at Harmon are offering you, yes you, the chance to win a pair of highly sought-after JBL Tour 1 headphones. Sound good? Well, yes, of course they sound good, they're JBLs. But if a free pair of gorgeous JBL headphones sounds good to you, just head over to the Harman International official Instagram account from Friday the 11th of June to find out more, and we will link to that in the show notes. Now, in this episode of Audio Talks, we're going to explore how JBL shaped 75 years of magical moments in audio history. From Woodstock 69 to the Grateful Dead's Wall of Sound, from the Super Bowl to amplifying the Pope, to the amazing Bats Live concert to reunite the world recently held at the SoFi Stadium in California. And we are going to meet two of the amazing people behind these pivotal events to talk history, technology, culture, science, and above all, epic times. I'm thrilled to welcome two of the key players in the evolution of the pro audio division of JBL, friend of the podcast, Raul Gonzalez. Welcome, Raul. It's
1: great to be here, Oisin. Great to see you. Hello, everybody.
0: Great to have you back. And it is a great honor to introduce the man known as the JBL Guru, Mark Gander, to the podcast. Welcome, Mark. Nice to be here. Fantastic. So I'd like to start with yourself, Mark. You've had a long and illustrious career at JBL, and you were there for some of the biggest moments in audio history. But I'm curious to know, what inspired you to get into pro audio in the first place?
2: Well, for me, it was always about music and musicians and equally about science and technology. I grew up playing musical instruments, actually through grade school and high school and thinking maybe I wanted to be a professional musician and did some semi-pro playing. But I also was very good student and interested in science and engineering. So I went off to college and went to a college, a university where I could do both things. Still kept on playing organ, taking organ lessons, but I could also not only study in physics and engineering, but I could do extracurricular activities. I started at the college radio station. Uh, There was a concert board that run by the students that put on concerts and they bought a sound system and I started to learn about sound systems. So all through my education, I was motivated by the love of music and musicians wanting to play. But somewhere along the line, you realize you're not quite good enough to make your living to compete with the real talented and gifted musicians. So that's when you move over and say, well, what can I do to be around this environment? Well, if you've got science and technology and there's things like radio and audio, that's where I adapted my interests. After I graduated from university, I spent a year working as a sound man in regional sound, doing audio recording and radio but uh, I like to say after uh, a year of plugging in cables and lifting heavy objects for a living, I decided to go back to graduate school and get a master's degree and a certificate in acoustical engineering. And from there, I was recruited by a number of companies and chose JBL. Outstanding. So you played
0: music, you studied audio engineering, and you also engineered some of the greats from the early days. What were some of the best moments from your early career in terms of working with musicians and brilliant people?
2: While still at college, we had that concert board, and we would bring in major national acts, and I got to watch, you know, everyone from Loggins and Messina to Hot Tuna to to a huge list of different bands and musicians. We also had a small club at the university, and I was lucky to be able to do radio remotes. The very first tour of John McLaughlin and the Mahavishnu Orchestra. I was sitting by the side of the stage with a little Shure M sixty seven mixer and and a couple of microphones, mixing a live remote of their performance in this little two hundred seat student run club. All through that period, I worked with the bands like uh, Orleans that was breaking out of the Northeast at that time. That went on to have a, quite a few pop hits. That. Also was very key to my interest working with a team, working as part of a band or working as part of a club staff, contributing your specialties, your knowledge to the, the group effort and yielding a musical and exciting dynamic result for the audience. That's such an exciting
0: time to have been involved in music, all those great acts. And you were very much hands on bringing your insights as a musician, as an audio professional to the place where music is listened to. But you started working at JBL back in 1976 as a transducer engineer. And uh, it sounds like you were more or less headhunted for this awesome, this perfect gig for a music lover and an audio pro. So what were your first
2: years at JBL like? JBL was kind of this really exotic, high end, super quality company. It had their components and their loudspeaker systems had this reputation. And I wanted to go and apprentice with the people at the company, particularly the engineers that did the designs. So that was why I chose JBL and chose to start. And, and I started as a transducer engineer. I um, first did design of actually hi fi systems, the L40, the L50. L220, L222, ancient history from the 70s now, but uh, still uh, you can find them on the web and find people restoring them and appreciating them. And I also, because of my interest in pro, there were product requests and there was activities in engineering having to do with the professional marketplace. I found those product requests and that's what were modified and generated. And I created the cabaret series, which was first designed just as musical instrument boxes to use someone else's amplifier head. But it also led to developing the cabaret series as one of the first portable PA packaged systems. It was introduced in 1979 and it grew over the 1980s to be a very broad product line and people used it for many, many applications. The JBL experience for me was then about saying, I don't want to just be an engineer. I know customers. I know the business. I know how to speak and communicate to people. So I wanted to move over, and there was an opportunity to move over into the marketing department and be an application engineer. So I spent some time as an application engineer as our business grew at JBL Professional, I moved into being a product manager where I would actually write the product requests and based on input from the people I was talking to say, this is what they want in the next generation of product or even here's a product idea that I'm hearing would fulfill a need that the people are telling me about. So from product manager, we began in the early 80s building and expanding the offerings of JBL Professional and eventually they made JBL Professional its own company within JBL and Harman, And I was uh, named the vice president of marketing with a, a focus on product development. And from there, we continued to grow over my 40 plus years at JBL. You spoke about your evolution of your
0: career there. You're very much a people person. You're focusing on the people who are making, playing and listening to music. And of course you came from the same place. You understood what they needed. You spoke the same language and you made magic happen in parallel with the engineering and design team, and you delivered what other companies could not because of these great insights. Who were some of the acts and events that you were involved in during this time through this incredible rise of JBL Pro?
2: At the time, most of the major tour sound companies ended up having to build their own systems for more sophisticated packaging, trucking, rigging. Some of them would buy the JBL boxes and choose what JBL woofers and horns and compression driver components to put in them. But throughout the late 70s and 80s, the premier sound companies developed their own engineering staffs and develop their own proprietary loudspeaker systems, and I was there as that interface in marketing and engineering, bringing back to the engineers at the time what those needs and ideas were. So it was all about communication. It was acting as a bridge between the customers and particularly the the engineering design customers and the engineers at JBL. Acting at that in that communications role got me in with the major tour sound companies. You know, over the years, there were giant festivals in 1982 and 83, the Us Festival, very, very major events that major tour companies, Clare Brothers is a name you may hear. They are and have been the largest worldwide tour sound company. But being able to work with their chief engineer, being able to to go to rehearsals and load-ins and sound checks for Fleetwood Mac, uh, The Police, and later Sting, Billy Joel, uh, Genesis, Guns N' Roses. And these are all major clients at the time of the major tour sound companies, knowing their chief engineers, getting to know the mixing engineers that tour and mix the sound for these acts and intimately watching their process allowed me to interact In some cases, even make suggestions about how to fly the PA the next time they rigged it. But more bringing back what I observed and what I was told about problems, issues and opportunities.
0: Fantastic. So you really were a conduit for innovation and for high quality audio in all these mammoth settings. I mean, the US Festival, the Steve Wozniak Festival, I I believe was behind it, uh, was such a huge event in twentieth century music history, absolutely tremendous. Were there any favorite clients that you absolutely loved working with?
2: Well, I mentioned the Clare Brothers Company, who's a very dominant company still to this day in the tour sound business. Their chief engineer Ron Borthwick and I did a lot of interactions over the years, designing special horns that JBL was able to provide for them. You mentioned the Us Festival. There's a picture of Ron and I standing up on a hundred foot tall scaffolding. Claire Brothers has a box called an S4 with 10 JBL loudspeakers in it, two eighteens, four 10s, two horns and drivers, and, and two compression tweeters. There were 90 of those boxes on each side of the stage on the scaffolding. So 180 of those S4 boxes, so 1,800 JBL loudspeaker components, giant walls of sound, and many, many other events, Live Aid in 1986, many festivals and events and giant stadium tours used not just Claire Brothers, but all the major tour sound companies at the time, Shoko, uh, Electrotech, Audio Analysts. All through the years, we were providing components and consultation to each of these companies. And the communication was the key. And that's the role I, I feel I was most responsible for was understanding the engineering and the capabilities and understanding the system use that the, the customers were employing. There were a number of individual names. Uh, I can mention a, a great man named Bruce Jackson who became a close personal friend. He did Elvis Presley in 1970s. All through the 80s and 90s, he did Bruce Springsteen, all those giant stadium tours born in the USA, one of the largest stadium tours traveling worldwide for a year and a half, I think it went on for, Stan Miller, Neil Diamond, sound mixer for over 50 years. Owned his own sound company and would personally do the sound for Neil Diamond. These kind of names were people that became close personal friends of mine, aside from, but first based on the linkage of talking to them, supporting them, and them respecting me and me respecting them and building that into personal friendships. That's such a a kind
0: of an enormous arc of all these you know some of the biggest acts in the world there and certainly some of the biggest mega rigs in terms of live music and you spoke there about you know a lot of these folks they became your personal friends but this fed back into the music in terms of product design and and building the future of JBL Pro i mean what part would you say that your relationships had with affecting things like product design and you know what JBL Pro actually offered to the market
2: well, in the early days, JBL was primarily a component supplier, then became very big in studio monitors, and people would use even the largest studio monitor we made as a PA system. But then it evolved into the demands for musician portable PA small boxes and large PA systems. In the in 1980s, it evolved to where JBL had the concert series. Other people had other package system implementations to actually provide a complete turnkey system in some cases with complete with the rigging for the boxes and the cabling and the, the amplifier racks and the processing providing those kind of elements on the PA side JBL was was the first guitar speaker that Leo Fender put in his guitar amps as a premium option starting in 1959 and, and the JBL component business really grew from that guitar speaker and musical instrument component speaker business and learning that the musicians are going to turn it up to 10 or 11 and blow out the speaker, and okay, we need a next generation of of speakers that'll handle higher power levels. But also interacting and knowing that the guitar speaker is a a sound creator, a sound producer, and you actually want some distortions or some characteristics in terms of a non-flat frequency response on those loudspeakers. The evolution went from components into systems. As I was ending my time in engineering as part of the team that developed the next generation of loudspeaker magnet structures, the SFG, the symmetrical field geometry, and we had to learn that other people's speakers built in or or left in certain distortions and they didn't quite understand it because of the way the magnetic assembly was designed or what kind of magnets were used. And we learned all about that and we can choose to put those colorations, leave those colorations in the next generation of sound producers, the guitar and music instrument speakers, but take them out and make very flat, neutral sound for the reproducers. So working with Fender in the early days and later... Selling our own guitar speakers and getting to work with musicians and got feedback and designed the next generation of guitar speakers all through the late 80s and the 90s when JBL evolved into not doing the guitar speakers anymore, but still working with musicians and technicians and evolving into the next generation of sound systems. The Concert Series and into this millennium with the the line arrays, the Vertec and the
0: VTX. It kind of shows that that hands-on approach, that relationship-based approach, it kind of gave you an understanding of what was needed at every part of the industry and JBL delivered, particularly from the pro division. So I have a a quick question for you. I believe you had a license plate that just said JBL Guru. How did that uh, happen?
2: I call it my 25-year gold watch. It was presented to me as a 25th anniversary gift instead of a gold watch by the president of JBL Harman Professional. At a little festival where I lived in Topanga Canyon, I would get some audio business friends of mine and we would organize a borrowing PA gear from Harman JBL and other people in the industry. And we'd send out little flyers to our friends and say, come to Earth for Topanga Days and be a guest mixer. So we would get Stan Miller and David Morgan, who does James Taylor and used to do the Doobie Brothers and all sorts of name top-level mixers to come out to this little tiny festival with this little tiny PA. So it was very nice. We did that festival on a volunteer basis for over 20 years. So that was where I was presented with my JBL, G-U-R-U, JBL Guru license plate as a 25th anniversary present. And I went on to spending over 40 years at, at JBL and Harman.
0: You know, you've spoken about the evolution of JBL, the evolution of JBL Pro and this unique, personalized, relationship-based approach to designing equipment and working with some of the biggest, biggest names in live music in the world. What kind of success did this approach bring to the business over the 40 years that you worked with them?
2: Well, we grew the business tremendously. When I joined JBL Professional was really just a subdivision of the domestic hi-fi division. So there really wasn't a lot of emphasis on the professional marketplace. What I and the new head of JBL Professional, Ron Means, when we moved, I moved over to marketing from engineering, he came over and other people were brought in. We kind of revitalized JBL Professional over the 1980s. We took the focus on each of the different vertical market segments. We're talking mostly today about the tour sound business, tour sound and special events, everything from Monsters of Rock and the Pope and the Super Bowls, from uh, the Rolling Stones and Bruce Springsteen, some of those things we've been talking about. But JBL services many, many vertical markets. There's five major ones. The next one is recording and broadcast, the studio monitor business, which is where I said the next and first of the system integration JBL product lines was. And JBL provided components to major studios like Capitol Records and Cherokee Recorders, and the new studio monitor systems were there. So that's recording and broadcast, also selling many, many monitors to radio and TV stations. We mentioned Cabaret Series. That was early portable PA, which is the musician and small event market. The Eon in 1995 was a a major revolution in the whole industry. The first molded box, completely integrated sound system that had a bi-amplified two-way loudspeaker system, an onboard mixer, a complete simple package for a musician. And that and, and many subsequent products from JBL and others fed for the portable PA market The cinema business, JBL started in the cinema business. Lansing was part of the team that created the first cinema loudspeaker standard in the 1930s. Talking pictures really creates the beginnings of large audience and large event sound. The scientists and engineers that created the talking motion picture business in the late 1920s and early 1930s really invented many of the component devices and system concepts that in the 1960s were drug out from back behind the uh, motion picture screens and used as the first substantial PA systems that could start to handle the demands of of loud rock music. And JBL has always been a major supplier to cinema movie theaters and the motion picture studios. Uh, JBL has actually been awarded a number of technical Oscars. So you've got cinema, Also installations, there's tons of installations, everything from mega stadiums like uh, Soldier Field in Chicago down to the smallest retail and, and restaurant ceiling speakers and wall speakers. And the sound contractors and the installations that get done are where a tremendous amount of JBL product gets placed and also where the design and the design interaction happens through marketing and applications engineering From JBL Engineering out to the consultants and the contractors to solve their needs. So all those vertical markets were really what allowed us to grow tenfold and more over the course of the 1980s and 1990s and become really the dominant force in all aspects of professional audio.
0: That is a powerful story, and the years of expertise and love of professional audio that went into that is just staggering, and you've played such a huge part in that, Mark. So thank you so much for sharing some of that. We're going to come back to you in a little while, but this kind of elegantly takes us up to the turn of the millennium, when... A gentleman called Raul Gonzalez joined JBL Pro. You had been working as an audio and systems engineer for folks like Julio Iglesias. So what was your relationship with JBL Hi-Fi, JBL components and speakers up to the point that you started working with them?
1: You know, I seen listening to Mark's story. It's so great because it reminds me of the fact that we have this serendipity, Mark and I. And it's actually Mark who called me. In September, I remember it like yesterday. I was I was sitting at the hotel room in Tashmahal in Atlantic City, 1999, October, September. In the middle of the Holy Iglesias World Tour, we had just come back from, I don't know, some Eastern Russian country or something. And uh, Mark called me and said, hey, would you like to come join us at JBL? And at that time, you know, I had been on the road touring for you know, a number of years, and I was not at all looking to join any brand. I thought I would stay on the road as a touring engineer for the next, you know, several decades or whatnot. But, you know, Mark had a very compelling invitation. And uh, I, we actually had a show in California, in L.A., and uh, I came up to visit them. And it's like Toys are Us for adults, you know, <laughs> for audio people. When you come and visit the lab and the engineering facilities, you go, oh, my God, OK, this is something else. It also became a situation where the people that came on board at that point in time, you know, when all of a sudden you realize that you could be exposed to Markanga Bredson, Margarita, Ted Leamy, David Sherman, you kind of go, okay, now it's a whole different ballgame of the kind of knowledge that you can acquire from these people. And that was phenomenal. And uh, it definitely changed my life completely. It never occurred to me that I would actually end up working at JBL. I was never sort of the plan. But it seemed like I had been sort of surrounded by JBL things all since I was a kid. My uncle came back from Germany, from the military, and he had these orange loudspeakers that sounded really good. And I'm going, what are those? And he says, these are JBLs. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but okay, great. And I was a kid. And then like Mark, I went and studied music in the afternoons, you know, I went to a Catholic school in the morning and then I went and studied music in the afternoon thinking I was going to be a guitar player. So I studied classical guitar and that didn't work out so well. And I had this passion for music, but I also had this sort of thing with technology and sound systems and whatnot. I think it was the late 80s, like late 85, 86. I started working with a really large, unique DJ company in Puerto Rico called Music Express which I had gone to their parties and not like you see today where somebody might have a couple of little power loudspeakers and that's the DJ for the wedding. No, these guys had like a concert system for like a thousand people parties. This was the premier wow. DJ company in Puerto Rico. And I went, man, that sound system sounds really good. And I went and talked to the owner and I said, I would like to work for you. And I was 16. And they said, okay, well, we need a technician to go set this up every weekend for different parties. Turns out, that that was a custom JBL system, and I spoke with the owner Enrique Nunes last night because I wanted to get all the parts right. And I said that it was a double 15 low-frequency boxes, marked 2226s, you know, for the low end, two of those per side, and then it had a custom-cut pipe with a custom box with 2445 high-frequency drivers with an acoustic lens, and then a passively crossover. I think we had a 2402 or 2405 tweeters for the ultra high end. So there was this fantastic sound system because everybody else was using maybe Bose 802s or something like that. And here comes this company with this custom three-way JBL loaded system that just killed it every time. I I didn't know what was going on, but I knew it sounded different. And that kind of stuck with me. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to continue studying music. And then that didn't work out. So go to college, start studying electrical engineering and computers, because I thought, you know, my mother is like, you should study computers. I'm like, oh, boy. I stayed away from studying anything related to sound for a couple of years. I started going to these concerts and going, you know, I missed doing something with sound and music. And I kind of went third year into college. I said, OK, I want to design electronic circuits and acoustic circuits for sound systems. I don't know what. I'll stay in engineering, but I started taking every single class from the theater department in addition to my engineering classes. I also, like Mark, work at the radio station. And then I went to Purdue University where I went to school. They had this massive hall called the Hall of Music, which is the sister building to Radio City. And this is where all the shows came to. And I went to the building and I told the, the person who was in charge of the crew, I said, I would like to start working here. And they said, OK, sounds good. What do you know? I said, I don't know anything. OK, great. This is the loading dock for the next six months. You're allowed to push you know, gear from here to the stage and back, maybe help them set it up. And it didn't occur to be at that point in time that 90 percent of the speakers that I was pushing in the building had JBL components inside. You know, it was like, okay, Stig is coming to play. There comes the S4s. Let's stack them. They're 300 pounds. Okay, that's not fun. Okay, <laughs> here comes, you know, James Taylor with Shoko. Okay, here's the beautiful, you know, prism cabinets. And you, oh, this flies different. This looks different. This is interesting. It sounds really interesting. Oh, you know, here's, you know, Robert Scoble coming in with Electrotech and LAPQ systems. And all of these loudspeaker custom-built design systems from these super sound companies guess what, had the same engines inside, JBL drivers. And I didn't know this. I was just going, they sound really good. And you could tell because you kind of make notes and go, okay, somebody brought some other blue boxes and they don't sound quite the same. You know, it's like you could tell immediately that there was something about these particular company names that sounded different. It sounded so present. Now, to me, that always stuck with me. And I get a call from the jazz department. I said, hey, we hear you're working at the hall. We need a sound engineer to do our jazz concerts outdoors. And I said, Oh, great. You go, it doesn't pay. I'm going, okay. He said, but you get to have your own sound system. I'm like, oh my God, great. So they take me to this storage room, and here comes my very own JBL Cabaret Series sound system for the jazz band, which by the way was designed by Mark at the very beginning. You know, so I had the single fifteen box. I had a single 18 sublo cabinet, and I had four of the wedges. That was my first PA mark. So it was interesting to me that all of this time I'm surrounded by JBL, you know, from my uncle, through the DJ company, through the cabaret series, to all the PAs that I push into the building. And then I go on tour, and, you know, I did Broadway tours for a number of years, and did Menudo for a year. Picked up the Holy Iglesias tour as a system engineer with John Godenzi, who was mixing. And John made me an offer that, you know, is insanity, which says, yeah, we're going to do a world tour. You're going to be my system engineer, but we're not going to carry a sound system. I'm like, OK, that doesn't make any sense because, yeah, you're going to get to fix every brand of sound system in the planet. We did uh, 33 countries and it was like that. Every country, every concert, we had a different sound system. You know, we could be in Bulgaria, we could be in Croatia, you could be in Vladivostok, Russia, or Cairo. Every place is a different sound system. And I cannot tell you how many different systems I run into that had JBL drivers in it. Even branded systems, whether it was Meijer or TMS3s from Turbosound or EAW850s, many of those had JBL drivers in them. And to me, that was an interesting thing going, there's got to be something here when all of these brands are putting JBL's drivers inside of it. And so I think when the call came out, by that time, I had already done a project for David Sherman, who worked for Mark. In 1997, we did the HLA demo tour. The HLA was basically a trapezoidal system developed by JBL in the mid-90s after the Array series. David had come to work for Mark, I believe, in 1997, if I recall correctly. Mark and I knew David from the Audio Engineering Society, and I had worked for David in previous projects. And he called me and said, "Hey, I need assistant technician to help do all these demos of the HLA systems nationwide." So we did this sort of demo tour across the states, and we deployed these HLA systems and demoed them in multiple places. And then I went back on tour, and then Mark called in 1999. I finished my tour, actually, December of 99, December 31st was the last concert. And I started at JBL January 10 of 2000. It's, it's funny, Mark talked about all of the different markets in which JBL, you don't kind of see that when you're touring because you're more sort of concentrated on all of the concert loudspeakers. But the range of loudspeaker products that JBL develops is astronomical. It's mind boggling, really. It's that to learn the JBL catalog, it's an exercise in mental brilliance because there's so many products. And so when I came on board that first year, my job was to support all of the Latin American distributors that were dealing with projects regarding concerts or installation or studio. Because I had that sort of experience in my background. And so I I went to work for the sales team, supporting all of our distributors. And then at nighttime, I was freelancing for David Sherman when we were building all of the first Vertec experimental boxes, all the new line array boxes that I had been working on from 1999 into the beginning of 2000. So that was great. And from that, I moved to work for marketing. So Mark became my boss's boss. I worked for David starting in 2001 as a product manager for tour products, which is, you know, by that time, Vertec was really getting into its own. We had already, I think the first deployment of Vertec was summer of 2000 for the Democratic Convention in L.A. But after that, you know, it was like, OK, get on a plane, go to Italy, teach these people about this product. You know, got to go to Brazil and teach these people about that. Or, oh, yeah. OK, you know, KISS is going to tour in Australia. You need to go support JANS in Australia because they need somebody to go with Pooch to do the KISS tour in Australia. I'm like, okay, this is going to be interesting. You learn to develop faith in this engineering behind the products. You know, it's one thing when you have the front of house engineer for KISS looking at you going, is this PA going to hold up from being in the lab with the people testing the loudspeakers for 100 hours? I know that the system can take it. So I got to be able to tell the engineer with confidence, no problem. We have the headroom. We can get that loud. It's not a problem. There is real science behind all of this stuff. Then, you know, from there, after two years of product management, I became a field engineer. And I thought I was listening to Mark's story. And to me, you know, Mark was obviously a mentor and an icon for me. But also the fact that I always use, for good or for bad, his name as an introduction card. So I went to visit so many clients and I would say, well, you know, I work for my gander. And it's like immediately people, oh, yeah, come in, because it was all about relationships. And Mark was the master of relationships. I tried to develop that style of really staying close to the client to support them technically, of course, but also to learn from them, because as Mark talked about we get so much valuable input from the customers that we can bring back to our engineering and product development team. So you have this kind of nice circle, symbiotic circle, that it helps us really develop better products over time. And so it's, it's been phenomenal time for me after
0: this is my 21st year, and I, I love it. Happy anniversary, Raul. That's amazing. What a wonderful story. I love the fact that it was Mark who rang you all those years ago and made you an offer you could not refuse. <laughs>
1: it's, uh, it was hilarious. And I'm sitting there in my hotel room. I, I think he knew I had a day off or something. And it's like, I get this call. It's like, it's Mark Gander. And it's like, I haven't talked to him in probably a year and a half. And I really didn't. You know, I, even when I came to visit, I was still like, no, nah, I'm going to stay on the road. I'm going to go do Santana next. And I was like, uh. and he said, I remember, you're not going to be a road dog for the next 25. Years, are you crazy? Uh, Michael McDonald was president of JBL at that time. When I talked to Michael, he said, Well, you know, we have Edgar Bretson coming on board, we have Ted Leamy, we have Mike Carita. And I'm going, man, you're making it really difficult to say no. <laughs> it was so much talent, so much you know, knowledge. Joining the company, it really propelled the company forward. That amount of knowledge in-house, you had to succeed. There was no other way. I mean, it was just phenomenal. I was just lucky to be there at the time.
0: I'm sure you made your own look, Noel, and, you know, you were called for a reason. What do they say? Many are called, but few are chosen or something like this. You were absolutely chosen. So you kind of mentioned some of the massive, iconic events to the entire history of live music as we know it today. So we've heard about Woodstock, Cal Jam, the Grateful Dead's Wall of Sound. But I'm curious because you went out and you worked with some of the biggest acts in the world. What were some the, of the most memorable mega gigs for you? Some of your most enjoyable moments?
1: I would say mega gigs would definitely 2006 Rock and Rio in Portugal. That was the first time Som is the Brazilian company that deploys the sound system for Rock and Rio, and this was the first time that they were using JBL at Rock and Rio. After that, Rock and Rio didn't happen for a number of years. And then in 2006, in Portugal, was the first time that they deployed this massive JBL Vertex system. So I got sent out there for a couple of weeks to actually work with their crew and make sure that all the engineers were happy and, and everything was working well and turned out very well. So that on the large scale of events, there, you know, that one, of course, you know, there's other mega festival, whether it's Ultra Music Festival or Electric Daisy Carnival in Vegas or, you know, things like that. But there's also smaller little things that are equally scary. Like, for example, spending a week at Les Paul's house. He was a nocturnal person working from like 10 p.m. to late in the morning with him. And his engineer, who had to be 80 years old, they were archiving every material that he had recorded, I think, for the Smithsonian. And we had to provide studio monitors. And so my job was to bring every possible combination of studio monitors and make sure he was happy. And sitting next to him for a week and he talks about James B. Lansing, like Jimmy Lansing, like this person is still alive, his best buddy. It's a little strange, you know, kind of you got to wrap your head around that, that this person you're sitting here having applesauce with is friends with James B. Lansing. And so I thought that was interesting. And then, of course, having the chance to go with Peter Chaykin to work with Phil Ramon at his home studio. That was definitely uh, one of the highlights, and of course, you know, many many events, whether it's Super Bowl or Grammys, we are very fortunate that our clients continue to deploy our systems at these legendary events, and it's you know it's for a reason. They want a proven solution, and so for many years now, you know, companies like ATK AudioTech, Firehouse, Acutec have been deploying jbl systems that uh, i would say 95 percent of all the award shows and large sports events
0: wow wow um so how many people were attending that rock and rio that you mentioned
1: a hundred thousand per night what i think that the late towers went about 1300 feet something like that it was interesting
0: so no pressure and that was the first time no i, I remember <laughs> it was opening
1: night was shakira and i was there with uh with brett maddox you know and it was like are you ready?" He goes, yeah, I think we're ready. We better be. It sounds good. Just turn it wow. up. It was quite the thing.
0: Amazing. And you had applesauce with the guy who basically invented multi-track recording. But you know,
1: I told you, being in his house is like a, it's a combination of a state-of-the-art technology and a museum in the same place. <laughs> you know, it's like, cause he lived in this house for like 45 years or longer. And so I remember getting there like at 8pm and it's like, okay, we talked for like hours before we did anything. And then it was like, okay, we're going to have some food. We had applesauce and uh, something else, you know. And then we started working at one in the morning. And I was like, okay, great. You know, I'd love to tell the kids and go, look, you could also get to work with somebody like Les Paul. Never occurred to me, being a guitar player as a kid, someday I would actually get to meet Les Paul,
0: let alone be in his house. Amazing. That's a beautiful anecdote, particularly to, to share with your kids. But like, how has your work changed in the 21 years that you've been with JBL and JBL Pro?
1: You know, it's interesting because uh, over the years, when Mark talked very candidly about the many companies that developed their own sort of sound systems, you know, as we develop high quality concert production systems, you know, Vertec and then in 2012, the uh, new line of VTX. You could see that many, many customers move away from developing their own custom-made sound systems and start adopting branded systems, you know? And we're not the only one. Obviously, there's several competitors. So the question becomes, why do we have the edge, you know? And I think that goes back to what I said earlier about science, right? I think that part of my job is to always bring the science to the client, whether it's through training. Or on site support, you have to explain the science, but then you have to verify it by listening and doing a concert, right? You could talk the science, but until you listen to it and you can actually appreciate the low distortion or the really good wave guides because they have excellent coverage and things like that. So my job has become a job of supporting the client, a job of training the client, you know, and making the connection between what their challenges are and the events that they're doing and figuring out okay what is the correct product application for you you know how can we use these products to help solve your need you know so that's i'm sort of the translator if you will
0: oh that's a great way to describe it i think you know you kind of facilitate this really special alchemy between artistry, craftsmanship, emotion, and science in a way that's, you know, happens in very few industries, I would say. It's an incredible talent to bring it all together.
1: No, absolutely. And to me, you know, I I think Mark and I share this passion for music. And I think this is the best way, you know, that I can find to actually channel that. It allows me to be exposed and enjoy that energy of the music and be a little part of it, of the actual final product. And we have so many diverse clients, you know, right now we have over 250 North America based clients that, you know, use Vertex and VTX systems. So part of my job is to support, you know, together with people like Nick Moore and other people on our staff, George orgallis support all of these customers. And what you find is that the range of events that our clients are doing is unbelievable. There is no type of event that our clients will not be involved with. Everything, whether it's political or sports or corporate events, it could be from something as simple as somebody giving a small speech. It could be Bill Gates talking to an arena of 30,000, or it could be Bruce Springton playing, for example, a giant stadium, which Mark talked about. We have continued that relationship with the late Albert Lechesi, you know, and I was there to support them in Giant Stadium. So I like to say that I sort of like to pick up keeping the relationships that Mark had worked so hard on, you know, to actually continue maintaining those relationships and expanding our relationships with our customers.
0: That's amazing. And speaking of which, I mean, whether you're standing in Times Square in New York at midnight on New Year's Eve, or you're watching the Pope, or you're watching the Super Bowl, JBL is in all these places, making them sound awesome. But of course, live events have really had to slow down. And a lot of them are cancelled over the past year because of the pandemic. What has the JBL Pro Division been doing to keep those relationships alive over the past year?
1: That's a very good question. So, I think the first part that is actually important to mention is that the fact that we're diversified, like Mark talked about, in other words, studio monitors, portable products, et cetera, has given us an edge, you know, over many other companies. Because while the production side of the industry, concerts and things like that sort of came to a screeching halt, a lot of other things at home, studios and production really, really grew up. So studio monitors, you know, grew massively over the last 12 months. The second part is the fact that our install team, you know, the installation market didn't really slow down that much. So in other words, a lot of stadiums, churches, theaters use this time to either continue installations or upgrade existing systems. So what we did is we actually move our production field support team to collaborate with the install team So we ended up supporting and helping with design recommendations with a lot of installers, you know, through over the last 12 months. And then we implemented, starting in January, a project that I collaborated with in which we started contacting and doing video calls with all of our production clients. We set up these two-hour video calls with each client where we wanted to know how they've managed through the pandemic. How did they pivot their business to stay afloat, How are their employees doing? Is everybody doing okay health-wise? How can we support you coming back? You know, we use this time to acquire knowledge from them. Going, are there any products that you feel we need to add to our product line? So the input that we got over the last, you know, four or five months has been extremely, extremely valuable. And I can say wholeheartedly that, you know, after July, I think they will start getting very, very busy. I think we're going to have an industry that is going to come back very strong.
0: One hundred percent. Everybody is dying to get back to the festival, to the live music gig, musicians, music fans. But folks have also been working on their music. I saw this interview posted at the Harman website with A.R. Rahman, who was showing off his beautiful new pair of JBL monitors he's got in the studio. And he said that everyone who comes to a studio says, hey, how come you have this great sound here? What's one what of those speakers? What's your secret? And so, you know, people have still been, you know, using the opportunity to upgrade their audio to make their setups even better. And I think, you know, really, when we get back to the live concerts, we're going to see this explosion of creativity, of love for music. And, you know, JBL for sure is going to be very, very busy.
1: No, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's interesting because we know already that some of our production, regional production companies are already acquiring products to get ready for whatever is going to happen in, in July. We know that there's bands like Sticks and uh collective soul and alabama all of whom are going out on tour starting in june all of them carrying you know JBL systems so the industry is coming back obviously it's different per country per state in the united states but yes everybody's dying to get back and i think our clients
0: are at the ready bring on the roaring 20s that's what i say <laughs> so <laughs> i have a question for both of you now Um, I'd like to bring Mark back in. And this is sort of a two option question. And, uh, you know, you can answer either one or the other, depending on what you want to share. So the question is, what was the most terrifying moment of your career? Or put it another way, what was a valuable, coachable moment which you've learned the most from?
2: Whenever you deal with any aspect of producing audio, but particularly live audio where there's no second take, you've got to be there. It's got to go on. They say the show must go on with live theater. Well, that's even more so for live events. Things will go wrong. Things will happen. Sometimes it's uh, equipment error. Sometimes it's, it's human error. Somebody makes a mistake. The biggest lesson is you really have to have contingency plans if you can, but no matter what, you have to recover. You have to immediately say, okay, that happened. Now we're in this situation. What do we do? Do we have spares? Do we have a way to patch around this? What's what's the method we can use to keep things going? It comes down to the, the engineer on the spot to not panic, to think about their experiences in the past, but think about what their available tools are or just their smarts and their capabilities to overcome whatever kind of problem it is. And to minimize the impact on the audience.
0: Fantastic advice. I mean, in two words, don't panic. That is such good advice for any situation. And how about yourself, Raul?
1: You know, absolutely, uh, I'm gonna echo what Mark was saying. It's difficult not to panic, right? I'll give you an example. I was we were doing a demo concert, can I remember in West Virginia with David Crosby, and for some reason it was all the system was driven digital from you know modern consoles, digital audio, everything is running digital audio. And twenty minutes to showtime, somebody decided to unplug something unbeknownst to me. And now all of a sudden there is like no sync for the AES. So they will have these clock, you know, issues. And it's like, okay. And his front of house guy is looking at us and I'm backstage and I'm talking see David Crosby. I'm going, okay, I'm gonna get crucified here. And I immediately look back and the guy said, Turn on your analog backup at his console. Because when we set up, I said, give me an analog backup from your console. And I had already rewired all of the amperex for analog input and sure enough you know later on we discovered that somebody had somewhere had unplugged an aes you know digital cable so it's like having a plan a backup plan but also knowing the technology of the products wholeheartedly you know it's like if you're playing you have to abort and exit your airplane okay well you better know how to you know use your parachute right so you want to know all of your products inside out so that you know okay, how are you going to quickly recover when a problem arises? Because problems will always come up.
0: Fantastic advice there from both of you. A, don't panic and B, be prepared. Words to live by. Coming back to yourself, Mark, we spoke about this incredible history of JBL and Harman and how they've been maintaining such an incredible level of customer loyalty and longevity within this very competitive business for decades, for 75 years for JBL. Mark, why do you think, or how do you think Harman and JBL have managed to do this?
2: There's some key characteristics that have followed JBL from its earliest years right through to this day. Um, the first is its sound, its sonic performance. That's why people are as Raul was giving his testimonials and that's why people are drawn and we're drawn and even in even the earliest days the JBL stuff just sounded different. And why is that? Well that's the second element is the technology and innovation. You know, in the early days, Lansing using large voice coils and the newest Alnico magnets at the time. But whatever technology and innovation can be brought to bear to create products that solve problems and create that that sonic performance. Next element is the quality and reliability of the JBL products. The fact that they're they're manufactured and tested. And so you know that you're going to have a product that's going to work well. You can rely on it. And finally, the worldwide support that's available with JBL distributors in over 120 countries around the world, the company longevity and stability that backs up that technology and that creates that sonic performance. So those key attributes have followed JBL all through its 75 years in terms of The overall message, I've always said it's the people and the products. We talked a lot today about having intimate communication with the customers and through to the company and into engineering. That intimate communication is made by people. People run the business. People create the heart and soul of the company. The products are what people ultimately will remember and remember that magic sound when Raul first heard those L-100s with the orange grills or somebody hearing their first concert with a big PA and, and seeing that it's JBL-branded product. The products and the people create the magic that has led JBL to be a leader for 75 years and continuing on into the future.
1: To me, just like I said earlier, I always feel confident. Part of my job over the last 17 years has been to deploy our large-scale demo systems, you know, whether you're deploying it at a concert or just a private demonstration. And I think my, my people always ask me, well, are, you, are you nervous? And I'm going, I'm usually never nervous in the sense that I have complete confidence in the product and the engineering and the science behind the product. So the first part is to let the product speak for itself to the customer because it always grabs the client. When the client listens to it, it always kind of grabs the client. That first impression, the sound, the coverage, the power, the dynamics, the transients is just people don't really know exactly what is the science behind it. They just know that it grabs them in a particular way that other systems do not. So part of then my job is to sort of once they are already in that state of mind to then bring to them. Why is it that our systems do that? What is the science behind that? And so it's always been interesting, at least for me over the last you know 21 years, there has never been a new product that I've been demonstrating or working on that doesn't have revolutionary technology behind it. And it's not just about, oh, let's just change the painting or the grill or whatever. You know, when we move from Vertex to VTX and now to the new generation of VTX, the changes that we have made in the drivers and the suspension system has been radical, revolutionary, significant, you know, that changes the course of the industry, you know, and so that to me has always been a key part of why we continue to be significant in an industry that has many more competitors than 25 years ago.
0: Absolutely. So we've been kind of looking back at this amazing history, these 75 hugely influential and uh, industry-changing years from JBL. But let's take a moment now to look forward. So I wonder could I direct this to your good self, Raul, mm-hmm. if you could give us a little glimpse into what is coming next from JBL Pro.
1: Let's anchor this on the fact that we will continue to expand on all of the vertical markets that Mark mentioned, right? We're developing products on all of those vertical markets. So that you'll see New production level tour sound products. Some of them just came out this year. We have seen a number of products for the portable market. Some of those have come out this year. Uh, Same thing for studio monitors. That has been crazy this year with the pandemic. You know, cinema has a new series of products for international markets coming up, especially for, you know, a lot of karaoke applications. And then in the install market, which has the widest range, you know, we're making complete developments to bring up new technologies, not just, remember now JBL is part of Harman, right? And so we have a conglomerate of other companies that provide electronics, amplification, signal processing, distribution, mixing consoles. So all of those different technologies are being sort of co-developed to provide a unified solution. That's kind of where we're moving forward to. We want to provide a complete solution to the client, if you will.
0: Fantastic. So the special sauce continues. Absolutely. So there you have it. The JBL legacy and this great history of superb audio and the soundtrack to our lives is moving forward into the future and it's going to be even more exciting moving forward. And um, I just wanted to ask you both now to choose a music track which reminds you of the epic times with JBL for our
2: title playlist, starting with your good self, Mark. Well, I think I'd pick Bruce Springsteen, Born in the USA. It's his signature track, probably. But it brings me back to seeing him at college concerts when I was learning the business, getting started at JBL as an engineer and going to the Roxy in L.A. and seeing him showcase in a tiny little club and standing on the piano and wowing the crowd. And then moving into the 80s with the giant stadium tours, the Born in the USA tour specifically, with Bruce Jackson mixing out front with all the JBL speakers in the Claire Brothers PA system and carrying on through to the 90s and the 2000s with subsequent JBL PA systems. He is one of many artists that I mentioned, but that really brings back memories of many, many people in giant stadiums enjoying and getting the communication from Bruce Springsteen through JBLs.
0: Wow, what a fantastic memory. Thank you so much. I'm going to turn that up all the way when I listen to it later. And uh, coming over to yourself, Raúl, what is your contribution to our title playlist?
1: I would say, you know, to me, the time that grabbed me was definitely listening to Tina Turner live with Dave Natal mixing through a large force system back when I was in college. And I had never heard anything like that. You know, never occurred to me that I would be actually working next to Dave Natal you know, 25 years later, on a Lenny Kravitz tour. But that original Tina Turner 1989 tour with S4s, which was just from Claire, just completely grabbed me. And then, you know, back to back to that, you know, Shoko Prisms with, you know, James Taylor and John Godensi mixing James Taylor, who then I would end up touring the world with for Holy Iglesias. I thought it was all very weird serendipity thing where these two sonic experiences you know, kind of grab you. They both had JBL components inside two different PA companies, two different engineers. Still that kind of sensation that gives you, wow, this sounds unique, you know, and fast forward 25 years and had the good luck of actually meeting and working with both of these engineers. Every time I hear any of these artists, uh, whether it's Tina Turner or James Taylor, it's just sort of, it's a great, uh, relieving experience.
0: Oh, outstanding, outstanding. Thank you so much, Raúl. And I'm going to choose a track that references a gentleman who joined you on the podcast a previous time, Raúl, a gentleman called Bill Hanley, who made the speaker stacks at Woodstock 69 with JBL components. And uh, my choice for the playlist is the Jimi Hendrix Experience Purple Haze as played at Woodstock 69. What an incredible moment of musical history. Great choice. Thank you very much. The story of JBL is in many ways the story of live music as we know it today. As the music industry grew, JBL was there at every step of the way. It's been an honour to wish happy 75th birthday to JBL with two of the audio legends who are such a huge part of the JBL story so far. Thanks so much for joining us on Audio Talks presented by Harman, Raúl González.
1: Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Great to see you, Mark. Great to see you, Icine.
0: And the JBL guru, Mark Gander. Thanks a lot. Listeners, remember that Make Music Day, the worldwide celebration of music, is coming soon on June the 21st. In fact, a record 90-plus US cities have announced they are celebrating Make Music Day on a large scale. Visit makemusicday.org to find a celebration near you, and we will, of course, publish this link in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, share, review, and generally get involved turn the music up and wish JBL a happy 75th anniversary wherever you are. The Harmon Audio Talks team are taking a short break for the summer but we'll be back soon with some more fascinating guests for some more fascinating audio talks. See you next time.